right, we're going to talk today about the pronouncement of judgment. The pronouncement of judgment. And you'll see that that's part of what the preacher had to do. Uh, that's maybe one reason, that might have been one reason that he didn't really want to uh, go because he was afraid there'd be a revival and that wasn't what Jonah really wanted. Let's look at verses 1 through 4. Jonah 3, 1, And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, and you remember he's been spit out upon the banks and on dry land out of the fish, the great fish that God fixed for him. So he said, Arise, go into Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. Preach what I tell you to preach. So Jonah arose and went unto Nineveh. Remember, Nineveh was a thriving, large city, the largest cities of its day. And it would be like going to Chicago or New York or Dallas or somewhere like that in their day. Sin City, is we could call Nineveh Sin City. There wasn't anything that didn't go on in Nineveh that we could think of. So Jonah arose and went unto Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now, Nineveh was an exceeding great city of three days' journey. And Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey, and he cried and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. He's crying that out. He's preaching it as he goes. And so he's preaching about the judgment of God. Now the good news about this is that Jonah's finally doing what he's supposed to do. He's finally preaching it took him long enough to get there, and God had to chasten him. The negative part of it, the sad part of it is how many people died in Nineveh during that time that went to hell because Jonah was out of God's will and didn't tell them about the Lord soon enough. And so that's, uh, that's a sad part of it, that some died during Jonah's rebellion. And I'm afraid that sometimes that can happen to Christians, too. There are people we influence, and when we're out of God's will, we don't do what we're supposed to do. And some of those people may be hurt, and even some may die during that time when Christians are away from the Lord. But we're, uh, we're happy when people get saved, and we're always happy when they get saved out of a life of sin, maybe... Maybe they've been living in sin half of their life. The sad point of that is that it would have been better if they'd have gotten saved early and listened to God earlier and done what was right, and then they would have had a life that would have been entirely different, probably being rid of some of the scars that they bring into their life afterwards. You know, God will save you at any age, but a drunkard, let's say a man was a drunkard and he was in a wreck because he was drunk and he lost his arms, both of them, just because he gets saved, God's not going to replace him. And so there are, there are things that we face later in our lives that some people, especially who don't get saved until later, they have a lot of baggage, a lot of scars that they bring along with them. Thank God to get saved. But it's better that you get saved at an early age. Amen? Always better that you get saved at an early age. Moody was talking to one of his pastor friends, D.L. Moody, on Sunday afternoon, and they were talking about the people that got saved. And he asked him how many were saved. 
friend asked Moody, and Moody said that he had uh, on Sunday morning two and a half people saved, two and a half people. And so he said, oh, you mean you had two adults saved and one little child? He said, no, I had two children saved and one adult. And that adult had already lived half of their life. So he said two and a half that were saved. And so it's better to get saved when you're young. Amen? I'm glad I got saved at nine years of age. Uh, I got in enough trouble being saved, let alone I wonder what it would have been if I hadn't been saved and if I'd have gotten saved later and what kind of scars would have come into my life. And some of you can relate to that, I bet you. So anyway, it's better to get saved at an early age, but thank God he'll save people at any age. Amen? At any age. I've led people to the Lord that were in their 90s. And... Um, I don't think I've led anybody to the Lord who was over 100. Um, I don't believe so. But anyway, I know I've led some to the Lord that went in the 90s. And God will save them. But I've had a lot of them say to me, a number of them, enough of them, to say, I wish I had gotten saved earlier. I wish I hadn't lived my life like I did. They have a lot of regrets. But get saved at an early age. And that's why it's so important. One of the great ministers of the church should be to children. Everybody thinks it ought to be the youth or the adults. And we should minister to all people, all people, all ages, everybody. I believe that. But one of the greatest thrusts of a church should be to reach children. Why? Because you want to get them saved at an early age. You want to get them saved while they're young so they don't waste their lives. And so they get right with God, get saved, they can live the Christian life. And that's why we need to work on our grandchildren. And talk to them about the Lord. Uh, don't wait till they have to knock you down. Uh, it's not a bad idea to just bring up the conversation. And you'll know if God's dealing with them. You'll know if they have a sensitive spirit about it. But they ought to know at an early age how to be saved. How many parents don't even tell their children how to be saved? Their grandparents don't even mention it to them. And we say, well, we don't want to pluck them too early and all that you can be sensitive to what happens. You'll know, you'll sense if they're ready, if they're not. But at least they ought to have the gospel given to them. How are they going to hear, be saved, unless they hear the gospel, rather? Uh, we need to get it to them while they're young. So, the thing about it is, no matter when a person gets saved, they ought to start then living their life totally for the Lord. And, and usually that's what people do. So we have, first of all, an urgent matter an urgent matter, if you're outlining. And uh, David said this, First Samuel 21, 8, the king's business requires haste. Now, if you're going out somewhere on church business and get a speeding ticket, it won't work for you to tell the policeman that, all right? You can tell him that Jehu drove a fast chariot and the king's, uh, the king's work, the Lord's work demands haste. And he'll just smile at you and keep writing the ticket. Ask me how I know. No, it's not me. It'd it be some other friends. But at any rate, um, it does require haste, doesn't it? That's what God says, the king's business. What's the king's business? God's business requires not being lazy and sitting around, but haste. Get with it. Do it now. It's God's business. We ought to be busy doing it now. Romans 13, 11, and 12, and that knowing the time, it is high time to what? To wake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believed, than when we got saved. 
The night's far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness. Let us put on the armor of light. And uh, God's saying, it's time to do it now. And certainly in this class, with most of us at our ages, we don't have any time to waste, do we? We really don't. And we need to be doing it. We, we have no time to sit on the sidelines. Redeeming the time because the days are evil, Ephesians 5.16. And the harvest is plenteous, but what's the problem? Matthew tells us the laborers are few. So it's time for us to do it and do it now and, and get with it and, and find a place, plug in, serve God, do something for His glory. You know, we could meet Him today through the rapture, but for sure we're going to die one of these days and meet the Lord. And the older we get, the closer we get to that. And that's not to depress us. It's a reality, and we know that. If you say it, it shouldn't depress you anyway because we're going to go and be with the Lord. What could be bad about that? Uh, we go home and be with Christ. So we have an urgent matter. Now, the answer to this situation here is preaching. Preaching is God's answer. Chapter 3, verse 2, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and do what? Preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. Preach is God's answer. God wants preaching to be done. And that's part of what he says. And so... He said, preach not only just preaching, but preach what I tell you to preach. You've got to preach what I tell you to preach, and that's important. 1 Corinthians 1, 18 through 21. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. There are a lot of people, when they hear preachers, they don't like preachers. They don't like to hear them preach. You can't hardly get them to hear them preach. They're, they're very uncomfortable even at a funeral when they hear preaching. Preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. What is? Preaching. Preaching. The power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. Socrates, Plato, and all that, that will go down the drain one day, and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where's the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? God made it foolish. For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. You're not going to know God intellectually and by all of that stuff. But it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching. Now, he didn't say foolish preaching. There's a lot of foolish preaching out there. Preaching that doesn't tell you to get saved by grace through Jesus Christ is foolish preaching. Preaching that tells you you're regenerated by baptism is foolish preaching. Preaching that tells you that you're justified by your work is foolish preaching. But it's the simplicity of preaching the truth. And because of that, God says it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Get up and preach. God called me to preach. I preach. And sometimes it bothers me if I don't have enough results, but then I've got to remember the results are in His hand. My job is to preach and preach the truth and preach the Word of God. God will give the increase. Somebody waters, somebody plants. God gives the increase. So we have to do that. But we need to understand the value of preaching. That's why we don't... Preaching has an emphasis in our kind of churches, not entertainment. We don't... We don't have a lot of drama. We don't have a lot of other stuff. Why? God didn't say by 
drama, people are going to get saved by these other things. They may have their place, but it's the preaching of the Word of God. And people get together and say, we're going to have a sing deal and we're going to have church and nobody preaches. That's not, that's not the best thing. Somebody ought to preach somewhere along the way. Maybe the singer will preach a little bit while they're singing and give the gospel, and that's, all, that's okay. It has its place, but it's the preaching of the Word of God. We have the answers. We just need to use the Word. We have the answer to man's needs, don't we? Amen? We have the answer to what people need. It's in the Bible. It's the Word of God. And so we have to preach the Word of God. Charles Spurgeon said this, and most of you know that he was one of the greatest preachers that ever lived. But he said, It is blessed to eat into the very soul of the Bible until you come to talk in scriptural language and your spirit is flavored with the words of the Lord so that your blood is biblin, B-I-B-L-I-N-E, so that your blood is biblin and the very essence of the Bible flows through you. Know the Word of God and share the Word of God and uh, just make it a part of your life all the time. And in Isaiah, he said, part of, part of Isaiah 55, these words, So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please. In other words, the word of God is what needs to be shared, taught, preached, and then God accomplish what he wants to accomplish. But it never returns void. Every time I preach, I have the confidence in what God said that it won't return void. I may not see the results. I may walk out of here on Sunday morning at 12.30 and say, I don't know, I wish we'd had more results. We see, God knows. And we have to leave that in His hands. And, and so we go on about our business to serve Him. So preaching is God's answer. Promptness, promptness is God's advice. Promptness is God's advice. And he told him, he told Jonah to go three days' journey. He said, Nineveh is three days' journey in. And uh, so look at what happens to him. Verse 4, Jonah began to enter into the city. <clears throat> it's three days' journey to get there, but he enters into the city a day's journey, and he cried. Now somebody says he got in a real big hurry and got there. It should have been three days. He got there in one day. I don't know if that's the correct interpretation or not. There's an implication that he started preaching at the edge of the city there, a day's journey. And then he said, as he began to preach, he said, Yet forty days, none of us shall be overthrown. But there he is preaching. He's, he's getting with it. He gets out, he heads for the city, and we know at least, either way you can interpret it, that he got there in one day or that he started preaching a day out because it was so important you get the emphasis of what is being said and what needs to be said and how quickly it needs to be said. And so Jonah obviously was, at this point at least, eager to preach and start preaching right now. God's message always deals with the present, doesn't it? God's message always deals with the present. He never says, get saved Tomorrow, you don't find that in the Word of God. And what if I got up here and said, "God said, now you don't don't get saved today, get saved tomorrow." I might say the same thing tomorrow. But that's not what God says. 
What if I got up and said, set your house in order someday? Don't hurry about it, but just set it in order someday. That wouldn't be the right message to preach. Here's what God says, Psalm 95. Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your heart. When? Today. Isaiah 118, come now. Now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. And then he said in Ecclesiastes 12.1, Remember, now thy creator in the days of thy youth, while the evil days come not, nor the years draw nigh, when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. <laughs> Anybody can relate to that. Um, after you get a certain age, it just seems like your whole body hurts all the time, doesn't it? But at any rate, Second uh, Corinthians reminds us of that. If something's right to do, if it's right to do, it's right to do it now. If it's the right thing to do, do it today. If it's worth doing, it's worth doing now. So it's an urgent matter. And then, secondly, we see a useful minister. A useful minister. An urgent matter, Jonah preaching what God told him to preach. Get there, get with it. Tell them to get right with God now. Now, there's probably, most of us can relate to this, there's nothing more satisfying in the Christian life than to realize God is using you, that God has recently used you or God is using you. That is so satisfying to the believer. Hey, I'm saved and God's using me. God's using me to do something for his glory. And Paul, after he listed his resume, and he listed that in Philippians 3, those first six verses, but in verses 7 and 8 he wrote these words, But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss. Just throw it over there. It's all just loss. It means nothing. For what? For what? for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and I do count them but dung, waste material, that I may win Christ. All of this means nothing to me, Paul says. What means something to me is that I'm doing God's will. I'm following the Lord. I'm being used of God. I'm saved and I'm being used of God. And I think that's what he meant in those verses. I've heard uh, doctors and lawyers, I've had doctors and lawyers, and uh, certainly some politicians, who have said to me when we're talking about preaching, and I've had them say to me, and I'd say, well, you have an important job, or you know, we talk about something, they say, but look, your job is more important than my job, Pastor. Your job is far more important than my job. Well, it is, because it's the preaching of the Word of God. A doctor is important. A politician, maybe half of them are important. That might be a stretch. But uh, don't look at me like that. You look like you scared me to death when you look that sober. Politicians uh, are important, but they, they're confused. And the lawyers, good night, uh, they are necessary evil. We have a couple in our church, but they, they're they not those kind of lawyers. But I'm telling you, 
a lawyer gets a lawyer get all the money he can for you, and then he'll take every dime he got for you. Uh, so many of them, but their work's important. But our work is important. Preaching the gospel is important. I'm glad God called me to preach. That's not a boast. That's not a brag. That's not a prideful thing. But hey, I'm thankful He chose me to use my life to preach and pastor and serve the Lord. And He wants to use you in the same way. And so our job. You heard the little saying: only one life will soon be passed. Boy, that's true, isn't it? How many of you would say amen to that? just gets away fast, doesn't it? I mean, I'm 39. I can't believe I hit 39. I'm already there. <laughs> Only one life will soon be passed. And boy, this is true. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only what's done for Christ will last. I heard Dr. Stanley say this morning on his television broadcast, and I listen to him sometimes in preaching on getting ready, and he said, even if you're 70, you can start over, or you can start afresh, or you can start anew. just so happens I'm 70, so I perked up and listened. I thought, well, I need to kick it in, you know, and uh, just keep on serving God. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for God, for Christ, will last. That's so absolutely true. All this other stuff means nothing. It's only what we do for Christ. So we have here uh, a useful minister, and I would say he is a pliable, a pliable messenger. Jonah is now ready. Jonah wanted to do it God's way. Now God's made putty out of him. Now he's pliable, and he's going to do it God's way. And God said, you preach what I tell you to preach, and Jonah says, yes, sir. I've been going to do it my way, but I'm going to preach your way and preach what you say and do it God's way. And uh, I remember sometimes in my early earlier ministry, and, and we have to battle that all of our ministry life, but I remember when I first started out, sometimes I wanted to do it my way. It's, I want to do it my way. Move over, God. I'm going to do it my way. And uh, you know what I found out? I get in trouble when I do it my way and leave God out of the equation. And I learned pretty early, I think, in the ministry that I need to do it God's way. And I can tell you that principle applies in our life no matter what, whether you're a preacher or not. Do it God's way. Be pliable in the hands of God and let God show you what to do out of His Word and then do it. Do it God's way. And Jesus said, And, and I delight to do thy will. Oh my God, yea, thy law is within my heart. And I think He's I think that's a reference to the coming Savior. And then in Matthew, Jesus said, I delight to do thy will, O my God, that is in the Father-Son relationship. Yea, thy law is within my heart. Thy law is within my heart. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. That was Psalm 40, verse 8, actually, and then Matthew 26. Nevertheless, not as I will, Jesus said, but as you will. So we need to do God's will. It was also believe it or not, a plagiarized message. You know what plagiarism is when, let's say if I took somebody else's message, typed it out in, in our uh, official uh, searchlight of the IBFI, and then I put my name on the bottom and I hadn't written it, then I had plagiarized. I've stolen somebody else's copy and somebody else's message and that type thing. Now, um, 
we have no problem. I heard about a preacher who told somebody that he plagiarized. He preached through the Bible nothing but Scripture. He said, I plagiarized all of it. Well, what did he mean? He said, all of this is God's Word. And so he just preached God's Word. And so I can plagiarize God's Word, and God doesn't care because he says, preach the Word. And he doesn't mind us taking his word and preaching the whole thing in Ephesians 6:17, and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. So I plagiarize God's word when I set up and preach to you, but God says, in this case, it's okay. In this case, it's all right. But here's the thing. We're to preach the word, teach the word, preach the word. I remember when I preached my first sermon, I believe, and I don't, I don't have enough people still alive to tell me and, and my sister can't remember she's getting like me but uh, and I, she probably wasn't listening that night anyway but at any rate uh, I preached and I think it was about a 10 minute message about a 10 minute message and I'm telling you I was profound and eloquent I preached on cigarettes and shorts for 10 minutes and I waxed boldly. But I don't know if I preached anything right out of the Word of God. I'm not sure. You know, some preachers take a text from the Word of God, lay it over to the side, and never get back to it. That's why I like expository preaching, because it is the Word of God. And you just sort of follow through. If I preach too many topical things, I might get on my topic, and my topic might not agree with God. So I want to be sure. If I, if I do preach topical messages, and I do... I want to make sure that there's some places in the Word of God to back up the topic and, and the theory that I have to preach topical. But I prefer expository or exegetical type messages. But at any rate, we're, I've learned that uh, there's, a, there's a whole big library here to preach. One young guy, a uh, pastor, wrote in, in one of his books that he, uh, when he preached, he got through. He was preaching to the youth department. And the pastor sent his wife there to hear what he preached. That's a, that's a wise thing to do. You never know what they're going to say. But anyway, he went there uh, to hear him preach. And when he preached, he got through. He said to the pastor's wife, he said, I don't know where your husband gets all of his messages. I just don't know where he gets all of his messages. She held up her Bible. And she said, he gets them out of here. She said, it's just full of them. And it really is. The Bible just full of messages, so we we have to uh, go to the Word of God. And very quickly, the third thing, an unsavory message. It was an unsavory message. In verse 4, he said, he was preaching, he said, Yet forty days, and none of us shall be overthrown. Well, that's positive, isn't it? The power of positive preaching. Forty days, and your city's going to be destroyed. It's going to be overthrown. People don't like a negative message, do they? They like to have their itch scratched. They feel good, feel better. They like entertainment. They like to be just sort of stroked. You know, just stroke me, Pastor, so I can have a good feeling and I can go home and eat my pinto beans and cornbread and just enjoy the afternoon. Amen? No, we don't, we don't need just stroking. You don't have to be mean about it, but... God's message is not always positive. That's not very positive. Forty days and then of us shall be overthrown. Really? 
that all you can tell us? And they didn't probably didn't like it too much. But sometimes we have to preach about the coming judgment of God, the wrath of God, the reality of hell. I'd rather preach on heaven any day than hell, but hell is in the Bible more times than heaven, and you can't preach a Bible without preaching on hell. And so it's a reality. It's not popular to preach on hell today. Did you know that? Most churches, they they don't even want you to use the word hell from the pulpit and preach on hell, but hell is in the Bible. Hell is right. Hell is is a real place, and, and you have to preach about it, but people may not like it. Ezekiel 3, 7 through 9, But the house of Israel will not hearken unto thee, for they will not hearken unto me. For all the house of Israel are impudent and hard-hearted. Behold, I have made thy face strong against their faces, and thy forehead strong against their foreheads. As an adamant harder than flint have I made thy forehead. Fear them not, neither be dismayed at their looks, though they be a rebellious house. God said, I've made you hard-headed, Ezekiel. Just keep preaching to them. Don't worry about how they look. Don't worry about their hard-headedness. Just keep preaching to them. And that, of course, was talking about the people of that day. And so he preaches about the wrath of God. He says judgment is just about to fall. Judgment is on its way. And so he wanted the truth here. John 3:36. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. He that believeth not on the Son, those who are not saved shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. You tell people that sometimes when you're presenting the gospel. You've got to let them know they're lost, that they're sinful, and if they don't get saved, the wrath of God abides on them. They may not like to hear it, but it's the truth of the Word of God. And you have to say it in love, And but we have to also remember not only is God love, but God is holy. And God does not back off of His righteous demands. He's not a lovey-dovey Father that says, you can slip on into heaven and still live in your sin and all of that. And a lot of people think in spite of their sin, they'll still get there. But there's that warning, Ezekiel said in 7, 3, and 4. Now is the end come upon thee, and I will send mine anger upon thee, and will judge thee according to thy ways, and will recompense upon thee all thine abominations. He goes on to talk about that. God is angry with the wicked every day, the Bible says. God is angry with the wicked every day. So we have to warn them, and we have to tell them the truth and tell them in love. And then there's the window of grace that is, uh, I think, taught there in, in the Word of God where he gives them that opportunity to get right. He says, he didn't say, I'm going to judge you today, but I'm going to give you 40 days. You've got 40 days, now get right. That's God's grace, God's mercy, God's long-suffering with the Ninevites, and He's that way with us. But Proverbs 27.1 says, Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. So it's not wise to wait, but God is very gracious with us sometimes. We need to recognize God's grace and understand how good He's been to us and then respond with total commitment to God as He gives us that grace. All of us in here would agree that God's been very gracious to us. And now that we're saved, we belong to God, we ought to give Him total commitment. 1 Corinthians 15:10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. Could you say that today? 
by the grace of God, I am what I am, and His grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all, Paul said, yet not I, but the grace of God which was in me. God saved me, Paul said. It wasn't in vain. I've worked for God. All because of God's grace. Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's horses and all the king's men could not put Humpty Dumpty back together again. You remember that little rhyme? Well, here's one somebody wrote, and I think it's wiser than that one. Jesus Christ came to our wall. Jesus Christ died for our fall. So that regardless of death and in spite of sin, through grace, he might put us together again. It's the grace of God that did it. We ought to appreciate grace, respond to God's will, share God's Word like it is, truthfully, to people like those Ninevites who need the truth, and if they hear it, they'll get saved, get revived, and miss the judgment of God. Forty days, and I'm going to destroy the city. Get right. Maybe God speaks to us sometimes and says, you need to get that thing straightened out in your life. If you don't, you're going to have to pay a, a high price for it. You need to walk with God in obedience and do what God says. We need to be, be like Jonah finally wound up to be, at least, honestly preaching the Word of God. Thank you, Lord, for your Word. Thank you for the lessons we learn from it week after week, day after day, and help us to be wise and careful to practice these principles of your holy book, that we might be blessed by you and bring you glory. In Jesus' name, amen.